what what was I playing for? Like I, ultimately my faith meant that I wasn't playing just for that success. My success was actually in just playing because God had given me these gifts. So so the, the, the freedom, if I'm able to actually conceive that, I'm, I'm able to actually believe that, is that that brings a freedom to the way that I play. As in, I could have a terrible game and, and those lows can feel low, but, but my identity isn't in that. My performance doesn't matter. I'm still loved by Jesus. Um, and my identity as, as a son of God in that sense is is never going to change no matter how up and down my performances are welcome back to the christians in sport podcast my name is johnny reed and we've got a great interview for you right now it's slap bang in the middle of the rugby world cup and we're diving into that world the world of professional rugby union what's it really like at the top level of the sport so Let's dive in right now. Dano uh, is interviewing with the former Gloucester, Newcastle, Harlequins, London Welsh and Ulster player, Pete Brown. Enjoy. I'm a bit nervous doing this podcast, right? Because I walked into the room and the fellow is massive, massive. And he stared at me and all. And we worked together. So Peter Brown, absolute giant of a man, 12 years as a professional rugby player at the top level. My privilege is to, to talk to him just around the time when the Rugby World Cup's on. And, you know, at least four or five in the frame, we reckon. But uh, there's one very good team who I think it would be grand if they won it, but we'll talk to him about that a bit later. Pete, I want to dive straight in at what I think is probably the most successful period of your career on paper with Harlequins. So you're there 2010 to 2013, winning some big cup competitions and the premiership, the ultimate prize really in domestic rugby, certainly. Tell me about being at Harlequins. Um, Harlequins was a great time for me. Uh, a really, really strong squad. You had players like Nikki, uh, um, Nick Easter, um, Ugo Monia, all these household names, Mike Brown, who's still, you know, still playing at the top level, Danny Kerr. You know, I was surrounded by a lot of top, top players and a great squad, which had previously probably underachieved and sort of came into even guys like Joe Marler coming through. Um, he was a young player when I was there, but came through and, um, yeah, won the premiership. And then the next three years while I was there, won something every year. Um, so to be involved in a squad like that was great. Um, and I learned a lot. And and in some ways, you know, a bit like Saracens now, there was that sort of habit of winning. Winning became a bit of a habit and these guys knew how to perform. And it was, yeah, it was a great place to learn. Interesting for, for those involved in really good level sport, right? Professional sport, top competitive sport. That's a three-year window where they've underperformed before. Then you go and win European level cups, domestic cups, and so on. What would you say now in hindsight, having just come from Newcastle, from the Falcons, as your sort of starting out point in rugby, as you look back on that in the light of retirement, why did that team knit together in those three years? What was it about the team? Um, I think a fantastic core group of players. Um, 
with a common goal within that. So you had Nick Evans at, at 10, you know, the fantastic New Zealand fly half and you had Nick Easter at eight, Danny Kerr at nine. So you had these key positions, Mike Brown at 15. So these key positions, um, were, were all um, international, you know, players, quality players. Um, and then within that, you had a great influx of young players coming through. So you had that ambition of the young players. The senior players were at the top of their game as well. So it was just a good time for Harlequins, I think. Also, the management was good. You had Conor O'Shea coming on board, um, who uh, was a good man to steer the ship. Um, he's now with Italy. And uh, yeah, he was very good at, at just... Uh, getting the culture right. Um, and we sort of had this whole ethos of playing the Harlequins way. Um, and that was, we wanted to throw the ball around, enjoy it. And we had athletic players and you wanted to try things and, and people did that. So it was, it was a really, uh, exciting time to play. And I think, it, yeah, it was that sort of, it was the right time for a lot of those players, which was good. What's the one enduring thing that you took out of it then in the midst of all that very successful time. If you were to be coaching somebody in a couple of years time, uh, what would be the one thing that you take out of that group of players and say, with all the fortunate stuff around it, here's what was very deliberate and made it a really top class outfit. Uh, I think there was a self-belief and belief in each other. I think that was probably so that therefore you created a team. Um, so I just saw a confidence in these guys who were top professionals in what they did and, and how they acted. Um, and that rubbed off on me as a younger player coming through and meant that I wanted to get up with them and, and, and be as good as them and see sort of a, they were role models in that way. Um, so I think it was, yeah, a self-belief um, and belief in each other. So they, they brought us along with them. Um, and created that team ethos within that. Can I pinpoint one particular thing that meant that it was, it was, uh, you know, such a great group. I don't know if I can like, I, uh, but the, the team reacted in a way that meant that adversity, tough games, um, a loss maybe as well meant that you just got closer together and, and, and worked harder. It was, it was that there were good processes as well. Um, I think they simplified a lot of the coaching. So we, every week you'd, you'd have a, a sort of three main points on the opposition and you do your video prep as well, but you knew what your three main points were on what you were looking at for the opposition on how we were going to defend, how we were going to attack and then what we we're going to do. So that simplification meant that we were able to just go out and play. We weren't spending a lot of time just going, right, Saracen's playing this way, extra playing this way. We've got to do this, 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 and this. There was that, but the coaches meant that they just stripped it back so you could just play. And I think that worked then. Very helpful. So you move from character to real tactical competencies there, don't you? And, and surely anyone who plays top level sport in our generation will find themselves inundated with clippings and cuttings of the opposition and themselves. And it seems to me in the modern era, the, the genius will be to keep that to a minimum so as not to fog the mind of the player getting ready for his next match. So I'm sure for another day, we might have a more, uh, we might get a techie in uh, who does all the analysis and ask him those questions about sport because a huge factor now in contemporary sport. Now, I'm going to pick up on something you said there, which interests me because you said a young player coming through uh, and schooled uh, at the academy uh, in Gloucester, then on to university in Durham and playing for Newcastle Falcons over a four-year window. I'll pick up on that in a minute. 
but going from Falcons into a highly successful Harlequins, everything you've said so far has been affirmative, but as a young pro trying to make his breakthrough, you had a shocking time with injuries there. And I'm interested in hearing a bit about the injuries, but more interested, I'm afraid, in how you how you dealt with that psychologically and emotionally in that process. Yeah, I so moving from Harlequins, I, I Connor came and saw me and, and wanted to get me involved because he'd heard he wanted to get a certain type of player and I fitted that that style of player um, that he wanted um, at Harlequins um, and they'd had injury issues. And, and so he was able to come in and get another player. In. And that was a really good start for me because I knew that the guy picking the team running, you know, he rated me and he wanted me in that team. Um, I had a, I had a good first year and um, was involved a lot in the A team, um, played a, hu- a huge amount of rugby and was involved a lot in the first team as well, getting a number of starts, but uh, lots of bench appearances and, um, and loved it. It was, it was fantastic. I was on the bench in that final of the, of the European sort of Amling cup as it was called then, but it's the challenge cup now. Um, and yeah, real privilege to be involved. I was all set to, to then be, you know, I, I wanted to be a regular starter then. Uh, and we get to this preseason and I've bulked up a bit more. I knew that was something I had to do. Um, and was, was ready for this. Um, and we were out training, um, and jumped to catch a ball and landed on my knee and heard a bit of a pop thought nothing of it, got up, could still move it. But it turns out that I, I, you know, after some exploration, uh, I'd ruptured my PCL. So just really innocuous. Uh, and I found that very difficult. It, it was also, I wanted to get back and take this opportunity. Um, and, uh, it took a lot longer than we, we originally thought I was out for about five months because I eventually I needed to have an arthroscopy, um, like get my knee, uh, looked at and there was a tear on my meniscus and stuff. So it was just, it was just bitty and hard. And all that time I felt like I was missing my opportunity. Um, a younger guy came through and did well and other guys who were already, you know, um, senior players were doing well as well. And I just wasn't there. Um, and I wasn't making my, my stand. So that, and then the year after I, I worked hard and, and got into a position to be able to, to challenge for my visit, my, my place again. And, uh, in December, after a few really good performances, I played well, um, got back in the good graces of the, of the coaches. I, I, in a, in a training session, I, I ruptured my pec. So again, a major injury and these two major injuries, how did I deal with them? Like, uh, like for me, faith is central, like, um, and I wrestled and I toiled with it. And one of the things which I wanted to do was to be a contributing part of this team. I wanted to, to be respected and to be part of this team and to be contributing. And I didn't feel like I was able to do that when I was injured. All I could do was focus on getting better. Um, did it, did it, did it, did I find it really, really tough? Yeah, I think I did. It feels like a long time ago now as well at the same time, which as you grow older, you sort of realize that these things in the moment are the biggest things you can ever imagine. Uh, like, you know, just affecting your, your mindset, your, the way that you sleep at night, the anxieties that they can cause you, but in the long run, they're just the blink of an eye. Um, and, uh, you know, do I, within that, my faith was central to trying to maintain an identity, which was 
in Christ, as in my performance, my body, the way that my body worked uh, or wasn't working in these, in these instances, didn't define me. Um, the way that I played didn't define me. And I had to, and, and the hardest thing, that one of the hardest things is being a Christian within this performance-based environment is reminding yourself of that is actually knowing that um, because you can know it in your head, but knowing it in your heart is a different instance. And, and I was very thankful to have, you know, my mom and dad around me who were able to give me a, a perspective on that. I was involved in uh, with, I had close friends as well who are, who, who were able to just point me in the right directions of where to put that identity and not to place it all in, in that performance and all that lack of a, a working body, um, but to place it in, getting better yes but also in something that's that's got an eternal factor to it um let me flip that then so when you were top man let's say you're at university at durham you're, you're at newcastle falcons which is a pretty big deal when you're still a student you're, you're playing english student rugby so then you would have been top man you you knew christ personally at that stage as well Maybe too tricky a question, but compare with me now what they say about elite sport, right? The, the highs aren't as high as the lows are low, right? When you're low, you work for your identity in Christ because it's stripped away. Your identity is being stripped. What about when you were top man then, a bit early in your career, for example? How did your Christian faith inform humility in that? Did it? <laughs> a good question um i th being top man i think rugby is quite a culture where nobody will let you unless you're like you know really top man and there's like the, you don't you don't feel like top man um it's it's quite a a, a humbling place where where people keep your you, you pretty level-headed and when you like there's a perspective from me that when i was playing for durham i was playing for the first team or i was captaining a little bit or whatever it was i knew that that was a, a level way below newcastle and then when i was playing for newcastle like uh, yeah i i was trying to I was trying to make my way still like, and I was trying to achieve, I was trying to do those things. Um, so I think there's a, within me, there was a constant yearning to succeed and to be better and to, um, and to, to, uh, to achieve that. But within that, my, what, what was I playing for? Like I ultimately my faith meant that I wasn't playing just for that success. My success was actually, in just playing because God had given me these gifts. So, so the, 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 the freedom, if I'm able to actually conceive that I'm, I'm able to actually believe that is that that brings a freedom to the way that I play as in, I could have a terrible game and, and those lows can feel low, but, but my identity isn't in that. My performance doesn't matter. I'm still loved by Jesus. Um, and my identity as, as a son of God in that sense is, is never going to change no matter how up and down my performances are. And, and therefore when I was high, when I was doing really well, like uh, I'm there to glorify God, but I also want to have conversations with guys because I believe with these guys, these 15 guys, 20 guys that I'm playing, you know, with 
like there's more to life than this. There's more to life than this rugby. And I'm trying to maintain that perspective. And I want to talk to them about that perspective because I believe it. Um, so like when I was at university, initiations, big thing, like I, I, I did, um, I did a non-alcoholic initiation, completely non-alcoholic, which made me very sick. But I gained a lot of respect from guys who thought that I just wasn't drinking because I was scared. But I wasn't drinking because I wanted to make a stand. Um, uh, you, for, listen, you can't tell a story like that without telling us what made you sick. Can you? <laughs> I, we get about a million complaints. What What did you drink that made you puke up? Um, so I, uh, I drank... Um, <coughs> six pints of like off milk with oh, off, off curry it. off curry in it and I was like I was very very fortunate that I was projectile vomited everywhere because that wouldn't have been good for me <laughs> and then I had to eat a, a raw leek as well afterwards so oh it was my. six and, pints and all the all the time yeah and I had to finish it before the guys finished their alcoholic drink all at the same oh. time so and I had to do all this in a dress as well which, <laughs> which was the only good bit so <laughs> So, oh, that is gross. Um, Hang on. We just, uh, listen, friends, just, <laughs> you may not know this, but we're going to cut off for 30 seconds. I'm just going to nip out. For- <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter Brown, that's shocking. Yeah. But fair play, good standard. No, I've yeah. got, you see, but I, I'm thinking of friends of mine now in saying professional soccer, right? This question's come up so many times. Uh, no, that's an exaggeration, but it comes up. They say, all right, listen, I've listened to your mate, Pete Brown there. And, uh, you know, very good, very good. But you see, here's my worry, a coach says. He, he like, yeah, he loves Jesus and that's where his identity is. And if he wins or loses, it's fine. He, he, what's happened to his edge? He'll lose his edge, won't he? Don't be letting people become a Christian because they're going to lose their edge if they talk like that. Why Why doesn't your edge disappear then? Because um, it doesn't count. Yeah. You, you know, you're loved yeah. anyway. Yeah, you're loved anyway, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean... <laughs> an incredible amount to you but it doesn't mean everything it can mean a huge amount without meaning everything um and i think that's that's the important thing and and i you know that i've had that question before as well um so yeah there's there's a freedom that i hate to lose and i that fear of failure as well. It, it, you know, that burdens me as well um, throughout my career. So, and, and sometimes it, it crippled me slightly from performing. So th- those things that they're still there and that want and that need to perform is still there, but it isn't everything. It isn't the be all and end all. Um, and I think that's maybe a perspective that would be really helpful for a, a lot of, um, a lot of professional sportsmen and create, create an edge of a slightly different sharpness. Mm. Oh, very nice. Oh, very yeah. nice boy. This boy's hard to interview. He's got a quick turn of phrase and all. <laughs> no, obviously uh, uh, in prep for this, I, I had to say that the highlight of your career was, you know, Harlequins for what they achieved on paper anyway. But of course there'll be a few clubs now saying, how dare you? Uh, it, Ulster might not like that very much. Uh, Falcons might not like it, but above all, I, hang on, you know, you know, you, you, when you finish the Harlequins and you get some fitness back, you go to London Welsh. Yeah. Now, now we're talking. Peter Brown at London Welsh, <laughs> and uh, you, you get into the Premiership that year. Yeah. One year there, good. Yeah, great. 
we won the won the championship yeah. and good good environment played a lot of rugby which is one I wanted to go and do uh, and yeah it was just a great place to be because we were winning week in week out and beat Bristol we were underdogs massive underdogs uh, I played in the first first um, leg of the final and then got injured for the second one but was just hugely involved in all those whereas with Harlequins I wasn't necessarily massively involved in that premiership like I was part of the squad but didn't didn't get to be a huge part of it. the Amling Cup the Challenge Cup I played throughout the you know the, the pool stages and a little bit after that but again didn't, didn't play in the final didn't come off the bench LV Cup I was involved quite a lot in that but came back from injury after doing my peck and got to play in the final off the bench so so this was this was different this was like yeah really yeah, you're in you're in yeah, you're an insider yeah. you're playing, played, all the time. playing playing well as well yeah. so. and i'd have thought it was an excellent culture at uh, london welsh yeah 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 the, the london bit was great so yeah <laughs> you absolute snyder <laughs> Sorry for interrupting, but we just wanted to let you know about Clubhouse. We've got loads of training evenings around the country over the next few months where you can meet up with Christian Sports for some training, a chance to meet others and to pray. There's loads going on and you can register now at christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash clubhouse. That's christiansinsport.org.uk forward slash clubhouse. We'd love to see you there. Back now though to Dano and Pete. <laughs> Good. So you're at London Wells. Now, um, Ulster's the last club in your career. Now, uh, interesting, did you have decisions to make around leaving London Wells? Because at this point, despite injuries, given your bulk and position, second row, lock forward, back row, uh, you're really at your prime now because you don't get that many years in those positions. What decisions did you have to make when you're based in London when Ulster was the place you ended up? Yeah, I, so I was fortunate. The second year at London Welsh was obviously very difficult, and we talk about highs and lows. That was a low, and ooh, and you know, in some ways, I played some quite good rugby in that year. But as a team, we we really struggled. So I was uh, given an offer by Ulster, and a big decision to make. My dad, who's um, a proud Ulsterman, like was a, was one of the big reasons why I wanted to go there. Family there, it's sort of in the blood, in my blood, and. Uh, and that was the the team in I you know I'm Irish qualified and that was where I wanted to I would have wanted to go and play so it was in some ways that was uh, a dream come true to to be offered that by Ulster and to be given that opportunity uh, knowing that I was at a, a struggling Premiership team that was going to be relegated to then go to a team that was just so prestigious you know semi-finals finals for years and years semi-final of the um, you know, of the champions cup as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, a team that's, that's on the up now again, uh, with loads of internationals and, um, and in a place that's, you know, a part of my family history. So, um, I had to make the decision to move, um, which was, was big and, um, but, but just felt right. There was a piece there that, that this was, this was the right move for me. Did it, was it an unbelievable buzz? when you've put the shirt on in a proper game for the first time and yeah. walked out in 
in Belfast itself. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, what was the game? That, what was the game? The, the first game I played was a, a preseason friendly against um, Leinster. Uh, and uh, that was, it was actually before the, the last World Cup. So 20, 2015. And um, it was, yeah, it was amazing. My mom and dad were there as well. And uh, just to be, just to wear that, that, that red hand and to, to be walking out at Kingspan Stadium, as it's called, Ravenhill, as I knew it, um, as, a, as a kid growing up. It, it was, it was, in some ways, it was surreal. I played there for Newcastle and uh, in a preseason friendly and, and played there for Ulster as well. Um, but it was, it was something different. Those fans, like they, they packed that place out and it's, it's, uh, those, those fans are incredible. So, you know, you gotta be careful how you answer this, right? Because, uh, you know, you go in 2015. So in that four year window, what was the highlight of, uh, moving to Ulster? Meeting my wife. Ah, oh, Bob on. See, he knows how to answer a question. <laughs> properly cover his back. <laughs> you met Hannah, got married in yeah. 2017. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that was, you did meet her yeah, when you moved to out, play. Met her out there. Well, well, listen, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want this podcast to be all hard headed, do we? You like it a bit macho really? Cause you know, ah, like that. Uh, how did you meet Hannah? Uh, I met Hannah at church. So, you know, you got a good in when you meet her at church. So, um, I met her through a friend and, um, forced her to come with a group of people to the cinema and then made sure I sat next to her. And then, and then the rest was a Did few. Did you know straight away, Pete? I knew that I wanted to get to know her. That's yeah, for sure. And you? yeah, she's a, she's a beautiful woman inside and out. So that's yeah. it. See, yeah. every partnership's got a star in it, doesn't it? Yeah, she's the star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the concussion, uh, everyone involved in rugby now, I think, well, let me rephrase that. When you're outside of rugby, I work in soccer, and you're looking in with the greatest respect for the way uh, rugby uh, has managed concussion issues because of the seriousness of it. Uh, but in that respect for you, uh, a significant number of concussions has drawn your career to a close at the end of last year. Uh, as you look back on your Ulster years, uh, what would you reflect on as, as things that have stuck in your brain from it? Um, a privilege for the opportunity to play at a club like that. Um, also the, the culture of the club was fantastic in terms of number, there was a number of Christian guys. We had a weekly Bible study. Like those things are, are things that, that stay with me. Um, great bunch of guys who I played with. Um, and it was still, it was still tough. Like it was still tough. Like I had times where coaches didn't, didn't pick me for a long, long time. And that was difficult. Um, I wish it had all been rosy, but those, I think, how you carry on in those times as well is, is, you know, like keep being a professional and keep, keep trying to keep some perspective while you're not being picked is, um, is important as well. Now, so, Pete, I, let me, let me dive in on you there because this is really well documented in elite sport, right? Um, there's a culture, there'll be a culture in rugby versions of this. There'll be a culture in all, all the sports, team sports where you've got to show willing, right? You, it's all about the team. You better conform to the culture. You better be really cheerful when they win and you better all in, but you know, you're not wanted. And if you don't play the game, you really are a villain. So your alternatives are play the game for the boys 
But do you take the coach on or not? Do you go and see, are you the kind of boy who knocks on his door all the time? Because often coaches say, oh, I like the boy who knocks on my door because he's pushy. As a Christian then, in the in the lowest moments at Ulster, let's say, they, you know he doesn't fancy you. He's putting somebody else in all the time. Did you play the game of being team first? Did you take the coach on? How did your relationship with Christ genuinely inform that? Because everybody knows it hurts like mad. Mm. What did you really do with it? Like, I don't know if I got it right. Um, otherwise, I probably would have played more. Um, so, but I, I, I tried to put the team first and to, to prove stuff in training. Uh, and to, to, to train as hard as I could. And I, 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 and I did have conversations with the coach, but I was never going to be pushy and I uh, like uh, arrogant enough to say you should pick me. Um, because at that time when you're not being picked for a long time, you're having questions about your your own performance like is this justified is it not so there's a battle going on there was a battle going on there in myself am i good enough is this it like what do i do um where does my identity come from again like ultimately it comes fascinated by that you come back there yeah is that is that your is that your baseline you've said it four or five times in this interview my identity is the determinant factor in all the ups and downs of it. Is, is that where, you, where you've drawn your intellectual, emotional line? Yeah. All De- the time? Definitely, yeah. I, I, I think it's got me, got me through having that, trying to maintain that perspective, as I said earlier, has been key to, to me getting through adversity because it's a perspective that goes beyond any circumstance that this, that rugby can throw at me. And I've been thrown a lot of them. I haven't been thrown all of them and I don't know how I react to all of them, but what I have been thrown, you know, uh, yeah, I, that I, I've tried to react in a way uh, knowing that truth of my identity uh, and reminding myself of that truth and and trying to prove that by the way that I, I live, you know, I was playing for the A team most of my penultimate year at Ulster. Uh, and we had a really good bunch of young guys who are all coming through now at Ulster. Um, and I think in South, like that was, that was, you know, that was good to be able to uh, be part of that team and to instill, uh, you know, good coaching, but instill a level of professionalism, be trusted in that environment. And I was able to play hard in that, but it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, but I was still able to play. Um, so, do, you know. Do you think, Pete, in that situation, um, you, you've talked about what you internalized, okay? It, it, here's the psychology behind, if you like, or the spirituality. That's the line. I'm, so, I'm in Christ, actually, independent of how well I play or not. Um. You internalize that. Very hard question to ask you this because it, it, it modesty prevails really probably. But do you think that because of that, you were able to be genuinely interested in other players as opposed to having to present yourself as somebody who was? Yes. Yes is the answer. Yes. So it's interesting. You see, you come straight back and be, yes, I could. Yes. Yes, I could. You were aware of that? Yes. Yeah. Talk me through what that looks like when 
the coach didn't fancy you. You're out of the team for a few months. You're with the youngsters, right? You're a senior pro. How, what does that look like? Jane win care for others. Genuinely care for others and genuinely showing care. I'm not so sure. <laughs> like so, mm. uh, but I genuinely cared about playing with those guys. And that involves traveling over for the quarterfinal of the British and Irish cup, being on, being on the coach with the guys and having conversations, having conversations about everything and anything about God, um, uh, you know, heading out with those guys, after the games and uh, in Swansea at some points and being there, being present and wanting, wanting the best for them. Um, because I wanted like, yeah, I, I want like the perspective that gives me is that, you know, these, these guys are, are worth more than this, this rugby, you know, they're, they're, and they've got a, yeah. And I, so that's not to internalize it again, not to make it a logical mm. thing again, but if I believe in the gospel, mm. so the gospel, Jesus came, um, I'm a sinner. He came and he saved me through, um, his death and resurrection, his perfect life. That was the, he, the debt that needed to be paid so that I could have a relationship with God. If I believe that, that I can have a relationship with God, the God of who created the whole universe, the God who is ultimate, ultimately powerful and in control of everything. Um, surely I'd want other people to know that surely I'd want these guys to, to somehow not in a, I'm going to bash them with a Bible and tell you, if you don't do this, you're, you, you know where you're going. But in a way of saying, actually, I'm going through a tough time. You can see that I'm not getting picked, but I, I want to talk to you. I want to be your mate. I want to try. Mm. I'm going to fail because I'm, you know, I don't get things right all the time. As Christians would say, we could, we'd say that I'm a sinner. Um, my perspective's going to be wrong. My heart's going to be wrong, but I'm going to try because of that grace, because of that love that is undeserved. I've experienced that. I'm conscious uh, that I've picked up on, on issues that, that I think all elite players face in one way or another uh, with a relationship with Christ or not. Uh, and I'm so fascinated always by the difference knowing Christ can make to the career uh, so it'll feel, you know, my own instinct is it might feel a bit negative the way I'm, I'm pressing you on questions here. So I've got two things left at the end. Uh, number one, 12 years as a pro, there's no chance you play 12 years. You, you know, we've told stories about when it wasn't easy a bit, but the reality is nobody, you, you can get one contract as a professional athlete. It's not that hard to get one if you show talent as a kid. Uh, you don't get like four clubs. It's, it's just not possible. So you're a very high level elite professional athlete. That's what you've been and just finished doing as a job. Pinpoint for me, the very best two minutes of your career. What are the two minutes where you go, oh my word, uh, when I die, I'll have remembered those two minutes. What were they? Good question. Um, one of them would be... Um, made my debut for Newcastle Falcons um, against Wasps in the Premiership and uh, I came on for a kickoff. Wasps had just scored. And, um, 
And this is just, I don't know what the, yeah. And uh, the kickoff is kicked and I'm, I'm 20, 21, 22 and I'm rapid then. I used to be fast. <laughs> used to be fast. Used to play sevens and everything. Uh, and uh, the ball's basically on James Haskell. And I absolutely, he won't remember this obviously, but I absolutely smashed him. He wouldn't know who I was, uh, but I absolutely smashed him and got a knock on first. So so first thing I did in, in Premiership Rugby was to like force a turnover because I like just ran rapidly and, and, and hit James Haskell. So that was a good, a good, start um was it could you could you remember the feeling of that now Pete? the, yeah. the rush of it the buzz yeah. of it yeah bang yeah bang and everyone's gone you don't yeah beat like, the like yeah. making and then the pats on the back and everything <laughs> it was great and then uh, and that's the thing like i'm you know i was gifted physically that was one of the things um like i you know was pretty fast i was big i was tall uh, and i was strong so i was gifted physically which is which i'm very thankful for and then another one was in the final um against uh, Bristol at the home home final had two legs of the final for the for for playing for London Welsh um and we were the underdogs massive underdogs and we absolutely obliterated Bristol um and I I I had a had a really good game and I got a key turnover which led to a try so we we're defending we're defending we're defending uh, someone tackles a boy I get in over the ball um, I rip the ball off uh, our guy picks it up pops it off to someone and he's down the other end like 80 meters scoring and I'm just getting off the ground as this is happening and you know everyone's like cheering and like running over like we've just turned you know defense into attack that was a great moment again rammed house full yeah. of house well as full as London Welsh game you know, it was, it was, but it was on, it was on TV and, yeah. and, uh, it was in, oddly enough, it was in, uh, Oxford where we played, we played the Kassam stadium. So, um, yeah. Um, but for me, like, I think another highlight, I know I'm not meant to do three, but another highlight is, is, um, my, my first try for, for Ulster was like, I scored against Treviso and that was just a great moment at Kingspan and Yeah fantastic to to be able to do that as well um well i'm delighted to hear there was a try in there somewhere because so far all i heard was like defense <laughs> yeah. defense turnovers that's the nature of that's being your a job forward, yeah. that's your job yeah good now uh friends you see i forced him i had a really force him i knew they were in there there was a buzz in there that had to come out and I'm just pushing him on all the tricky issues. <laughs> so you owe the boy a chance. He just retired. He needs yeah. to be able to say something confident. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, here we are then, uh, you know, time's gone. Uh, obviously it's the rugby world cup, uh, where in the midst of it, it's about to start. Never been so open. What are you thinking? Remember now, you could be judged on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, my heart says, my, obviously, I, I love Ireland to do well. Um, I think they're going to have a tough quarterfinal. It's either against New Zealand or South Africa. So uh, the Welsh are a good team. So, yeah, Warren Gatland's obviously knows how to steer the ship. I don't think you can look past New Zealand. Like, I just, you just get that feeling. And, um, South Africa are very strong at the minute as well. And, uh, you know, England have such a strength and depth as well. You know, they get a couple of injuries, maybe not in key positions. Like if Vunipola got injured, I think they would really struggle, uh, either Vunipola, um, but mainly um, 
the number eight. So, because uh, he's just such a key ball carrier for them, he just gets go forward. So, but uh, yeah, I don't think, I think England could do really well. So it is, it's so open. So, um, but never I, been so open, really. But I like, I would probably go for New Zealand uh, in my head and Ireland in my heart. Rory Best, if he could lift that mm. trophy at the end of what a career. Um, be, yeah, that would be great to see him do that. But. All right, then. Well, uh, you heard it here first, but he kind of hedged his bets. <laughs> Where's that fence? I think I'm sitting on it right now. <laughs> yeah, it's you're right painful. on the middle of it. It's a Does bit it spiky. Hurt? It's a bit spiky. You're a bit tall for that fence. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Pete, uh, top draw. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, Reedy, back to you. And I'll tell you something. I hope they're all as much fun as uh, seeing big Peter Brown in interview any day of the week. I'll do that again. Reedy. Thanks, Dano. That was great, wasn't it? Now, if you've got a topic or if you've got a question you want us to look at on this podcast, please do get in touch. Just email podcast at christiansinsport.org.uk. That's podcast at christiansinsport.org.uk. Or you can find us on social media, uh, send us a message or use hashtag AskCIS. We'd love uh, to be able to answer some of the questions you've got about being uh, a Christian in the world of top level sport. Uh, we want to hear from you. And we've got loads of interviews in our archive as well. So do have a dig. Listen to other interviews with former top-level sports people. Uh, they're well worth a listen. But until next time, see you later.